0: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our briefing on geothermal energy this afternoon. And just like the weather here in Washington, we think that geothermal also is really heating up and that we all need to do our part to truly make that the case. My name is Carol Werner. I'm the executive director of the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. We are delighted to be holding this briefing this afternoon. uh, Prior to tomorrow's day-long meeting, Uh, providing an international geothermal showcase and we are so glad to uh, be doing this uh, forum in conjunction with the Geothermal Energy Association uh, with whom we have long had uh, a very strong partnership as we feel that geothermal is such an extremely important part of our energy portfolio that it is an area that we hope will truly grow that it provides so many wonderful attributes and is a, such an important piece of how we should uh, look at how we really truly bring forward a clean energy economy, both here in the United States as well as in so many countries uh, across the globe. And for too long, we feel that geothermal has often been what I often refer to as a stepchild in the renewable energy uh family of of resources and technologies, and geothermal is uh, an extremely valuable resource uh, that can be used in so many different ways, and of course, an area which is so important in terms of as we think about the decarbonization of our power sector, the uh, characteristic that it brings of being baseload power. So to kick off our briefing this afternoon, I want to turn to uh, to Ryan Moulton, who is the policy advisor to Senator Kerry Reid of Nevada. Senator Reid has been a very, very long-time leader and supporter of geothermal energy, and of course, Nevada is one of our great geothermal uh, resource states, and so uh, Senator Reid could not be with us, but Ryan is a very able representative, and we're delighted to have you here, Ryan.
1: Thanks for having me. Um, as Carol said, I work for Senator Reid. My name is Ryan uh, I'm sorry I couldn't be here today. Geothermal energy is important to him. And my boss is known for getting right to the point, so I'm going to keep this short so we can get right to the, the briefing. Um, for quite a while, the future of clean energy and geothermal energy, um, I think, has been a classic test of willpower. The only question is whether we would persevere to create the right investment environment for geothermal and for clean energy to thrive. And while my boss has never believed that government is the answer to every problem, at least in this case, government has to create the right conditions for businesses to invest. So real progress has been made, especially after the deal in December. But it was a loss of my boss that work remains to bring more investment certainty to geothermal energy. Um, so he continues to do what he can to make sure that the right investment environment is created for clean energy and geothermal energy to, to, to thrive and work continues on that topic to the day. Um, beyond those issues with a tax scope, you know, my boss continues to work to improve the way that clean energy is transmitted in this country and he was very pleased about the expansion of the One Nevada transmission line um, late last year, early this year, I which one it was. And he continues to be engaged on funding for geothermal energy um, and the FORGE project at the Department of Energy. So um, on those issues and more, I hope everyone knows that my boss's door is always open on these subjects. We wanna hear from you. And I'm confident that with the teamwork of the folks that are listening online and people in this room, um, that we will have the willpower to succeed. So thanks again for inviting me, Carol, and to GEA. And with that, we Thanks.
0: Thanks so much, Ryan. Um, and, and I think as, as everyone knows, uh, the Geothermal has been very, very fortunate to have the kind of very consistent and persistent leadership coming out of Senator Reid's office for, for years and really bringing people together uh, around that and around uh, key policy uh, uh, ideas and and strategies. So we are now going to turn to our first panelist this afternoon, uh, and we are deeply honored to have with us Sakari Aksanen, who is the deputy Director General of IRENA, which is the International Renewable Energy Agency, the director, the Deputy Director General, joined IRENA in 2015 as uh, in his current role, where he is responsible for leading IRENA's uh, programmatic work and ensuring very very close linkages. Uh, among planning, implementation, monitoring, and evaluation of all of Irena's many, many activities across the renewable space. His career includes more than 25 years of international management experience in consulting engineering businesses, which is a very, very good background for the very important work that Irena is about. Mr.
2: Deputy Director. Of General.
3: Thank you, Executive Director. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I must uh, say that uh, coming through the uh, town and seeing the beautiful city of Washington in spring and experience the trees in blossom is really a wonderful experience. And it's a pleasure to be here. And I must appreciate the opportunity to introduce International Renewable Energy Agency. Our activities and whatever, not so much, but something we have been doing on the geothermal field to this audience. So, thank you. Starting from IRENA. uh, It is an intergovernmental organization and um, it has a very, very clear mandate. It's it's written in in its statute. It supports countries in their transition to sustainable energy future, and it says that uh, the agency promotes widespread and increased adoption of all forms of renewable energy. That's our mandate. And it, of course, includes many forms bioenergy, there is um, uh, geothermal energy, ocean energy, solar energy, and wind energy. So the whole spectrum. And uh, if I would to characterize today, it's not only the energies self; it's the whole energy system. As an integrated totality that we need to consider to get the, uh, the, the vision uh, accomplished. A little bit about um, IRENA. It is a fairly young agency. It's established five years ago, 2011. It is headquartered in Abu Dhabi and uh, headed by Director General Adnan Amin. We have another office in Germany, in Bonn. And that office focuses on technology, uh, costs, and innovation. And then we have a smaller outlet in New York. It's a representation office to United Nations. um, uh, But um, here to be noted that IRENA is not a UN agency. It is an independent uh, intergovernmental agency established by its members. Our membership is almost uh, nearly universal, so we have uh, 140 States as members, including one non-State, that's European Union, and then we have 36 uh, 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 States under uh, process of accession. So we have 176 uh, governmental entities at the moment, and it is a very Good achievement, and uh, I would say it's also an acknowledgement of our work uh, to, to to receive uh, or to achieve the universal membership in just five years. I think about our operations and um, and um, the focus areas of our activities I would say that there are five groups of uh, uh, focus areas. One is technology okay, before re- technology there are resources renewable energy resources and there is technology third is technology costs, four is policy and regulation and five is financing so if I look at what we do, almost everything spins around uh, these aspects of business and these are the elementary uh, aspects of any energy business um, that is carried out by the various stakeholders. And we could also say that we have three modes of uh, influencing the global energy sector. One is to initiate discussion uh, and contribute to the global debate on renewable energy. And uh, in this we pay attention on the country's commitments, their ambition level towards uh, renewable energy, their commitments policies, INDCs, and uh, then the different international fora play an important role. Our assembly which gathers annually is already developed to be one of the major global renewable energy events. um, But of course the influence continues beyond that, there are United Nations framework, there is G20 process, there is G7 process uh, to which we also participate participate and various organisations and regional initiatives uh, in which we are part. And then as well we have the bilateral engagement uh, with our membership uh, and uh, different countries. Secondly, we contribute to the debate by providing information and data. And this is a very prominent part of our activities. So we provide statistics, analysis, uh, uh, databases, and it's freely accessible to all. It's not so very well organized yet, but I still encourage you to visit our webpages and our, our, some of our documents. There is a rich <coughs> repository of over a few hundred uh, documents from various fields of the Renewable Energy work, we publish around 50 documents and noise products uh, annually. Thirdly, we provide uh, technical assistance and capacity building services, and we have created various mechanisms with our members, especially in the developing countries, either directly or through regional cooperation and various platforms. We have worked with um, at least 90 countries directly, and we have conducted so-called renewable readiness uh, assessments for for more than 20 countries. And one of our sort of uh, products is the renewable energy roadmap. And these kind of roadmaps have been carried out for around 10 countries. Yeah. Okay. Here is a list of the sort of brand names of these various products. Our flagship report is the Rethinking Energy Remap. 2030 is a global roadmap. And then we have the national roadmaps that I mentioned. Cost analysis, resource, and global atlas. which is a uh, map-based database for renewable energy resources. As to the outreach and partnership, the interact with the various mechanisms. One very interesting one is this African Clean Energy Corridor we discussed uh, just uh, before this panel. Uh, the idea is to interconnect uh, Eastern Africa to Southern Africa and ultimately up to Egypt with the strong transmission links. And the benefit of this to renewable energy deployment is of course obvious because there are certain hotspots Uh, in Eastern Africa for for especially geothermal energy. There is the Ethiopia, Kenya area where there is an abundant uh,
2: resource available. But there are also hydropower concentrations uh, thinking about countries
3: like Zambia and again Ethiopia. So the purpose of the initiative is to be able to upscale the deployment of renewable energy so that the countries would not uh, limit their efforts to their national needs, but would consider the continental needs. And then finally to do renewable energy trading across the borders and make use of the report. A very important focus of our operation is also the island, island states. So we do have a lot of program uh, for various um, uh, islands. We are not a financing agency, but uh, as I said, financing is also one of the key areas of focus because it is so so important for anyone who develops renewable energy projects. Uh, We have a product which which was launched just a few weeks ago called Sustainable Energy Marketplace. It is basically uh, a platform for project developers and the financing community to meet up. Uh, uh, so it is a meeting place and uh, in, in, in Eastern Africa we have a, already something like 30 to 40 projects uh, listed and a number of financing agencies and uh, uh, equity financiers also registered in, into the system and they can meet they can screen their, their, their financing conditions on the other hand and then uh, the, the, the financiers can screen the projects and pick up some and establish direct contact uh, for further negotiation. So it is a facilitating uh, platform. Then we have a project navigator tool which provides um, templates and tools for those who are at the very initial stage of project development. So helping them to project, uh, develop the project to a bankable stage. Finally, we do have a touch, even though we are an inter- in- in- intergovernmental agency, we have a to the very basic level of project development through one financing facility, it is uh, cooperated cooperative Abu Dhabi Fund for Development. And um, it is, um, it is uh, granting concessional loans by the Abu Dhabi government, but basically, IRENA acts as a fund manager effectively uh, for this fund. Something like 15 projects and lending decisions to the amount of 144 million have been already granted under this facility. Regarding the geothermal development, I need to say that uh, it is a work in progress, but uh, we are now focusing increasingly to geothermal side. Uh, we have provided technical assistance and capacity building along the lines that I described earlier, especially to the Andes countries, Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. And then uh, the ADFD IRENA funding facility, through that we have provided funding already to two geothermal projects. One is in Iran, uh, capacity is 5 megawatts, and the other one is, is, is in uh, St. Vincent and Grenadines. Uh, 10 to 15 megawatts. Uh, The project is actually in a quite early stage, but uh, still uh, uh, progressive, promising. Regarding the other tools I mentioned, Global Atlas and Project Navigator, we are currently working uh, to include the geothermal aspect to those. So these uh, resources mapping on the map page and then, on the other hand, providing a credible tool for, for, for those who enter the geothermal business to develop their projects. Finally, I would like to mention the uh, Global Geothermal Alliance, It is is a new platform and it is strongly supported by IRENA. It was launched at COP21 in Paris last December, and uh, at the moment the alliance is at the (coughs) stage where the members are preparing the action plan. And we are very glad that the U.S. government and also the the U.S. Geothermal Energy Association are members. And furthermore, I, I need to say that the U.S. government has been very active and contributed positively in setting up this alliance and, uh, and um, helping to draft its initial action plan the alliance has some 40 countries already signing and 26 implementation partners out of these three are industry partners six academic and research institutions and then we have a lot of development banks and funds who have uh, become partners the deployment of geothermal energy is on increase but the we all recognize that uh, comparing to the potential there is lots to be done. And uh, the the total potential, uh, sort of installed capacity uh, globally, around 30 gigawatts is not a very big figure. It's a good achievement, but comparing to the potential, there is lots to be done. Though GTA is now an effort to unlock some of the Barriers and address some of the problems that uh, come on the way. And it operates in such a way that the members of the alliance can propose projects and initiatives when they have identified such barriers or problems, either working in a country or working with a project. And this kind of an initiative to work on that particular case is then presented to the membership who then evaluates if there are members who want to contribute to solving this problem. And of course, uh, in terms of evaluating the prospects to which, which the alliance will take into the program, the greatest needs and priorities will then be considered. The action plan will be finalized now during this spring and it will be possibly then accepted during the council meeting of IRENA in the end of May or early June, and we hope and look forward that the alliance would be in operation second half of this year. Thank you. Thank you. Still a few photos about the, the mapping exercise that you have uh, started, is work in progress.
0: Terrific, thank you so much. Uh, that was a very, very helpful overview in terms of the role of IRENA and what and the process moving forward uh, with regard to uh, geothermal and, and the involvement of, of countries in Africa, South America, um, et cetera. I think that is so, so important and, and exciting. So we look forward to seeing this new plan come out. Hopefully in May, we're seeing. Um, so we are now going to turn to our next speaker, uh, to Dr. Mesred Zemedken, who has been with the uh, with UNEP, the United Nations Environment Program, since 2011, uh, where she is the program manager of the American of the African Rift Geothermal Development Facility, uh, and. As part of this work, and I should say that she also is a geophysicist, uh, she has worked for also more than 20 years in the Geological Survey of Ethiopia, uh, where she was responsible for three operating divisions, including uh, engineering, geology, geothermal, and hydrogeology. So she's done many, many projects, uh, working uh, as, as an international geothermal consultant working with many, many different companies, with many different associations and governments. It is our pleasure to welcome you here today.
4: Thank you very much, uh, Madam Chairperson, for the nice introduction, and uh, good afternoon all. Uh, It is really my pleasure and honored uh, to be here uh, with you all and just to share with you my experience in geothermal development in Africa and also the role of my organization UNEP in the development of this geothermal resource uh, in the region, in African region. And I would like really to extend my appreciation uh, to the Geothermal Energy Association uh, for inviting UNEP to be part of uh, this uh, panel to share our knowledge and experience on this. So as you see uh, that we will mostly uh, talk um, on development of geothermal resource uh, in Africa and uh, particularly on the key issues, the context in Africa and the renewable energy and its opportunities for development because geothermal is one of the major renewable energy that really contributes the social economic development in my continent, and the role of UNEP in this uh, energy development, specifically in Africa, and uh, give you an overview of what in UNEP African Pre-Development uh, Facility Program is doing in collaboration with the other countries and partners as well. The key issues now is, as you know, um, uh, Africa is really undergoing a sustainable, period of economic growth. And also this transformation. But it's dramatic population growth and economies are also developing and diversifying. This really uh, entails uh, a high energy demand for meeting that uh, objective of diversifying this economic growth. So the next 20 years, we'll see Africa reaping extensive benefits from global developments in the field of clean energy investment specifically. So opportunities exist for Africa to realise its economic and social development, but that will be uh, really uh, by increasing the energy, the modern energy access in this continent. So I think the Africans now have a slogan, a prosperous Africa based on inclusive growth and sustainable development that really requires a sustainable energy development. So the current scenario, what we have in Africa is though we have 20 years from now and also back, if we see that still we have an energy access gap, (coughs) big access gap, particularly when you see in the sub-Saharan Africa. And the business as usual scenario is not going to work because there is a dramatic increase of a demand of energy. So we have to really work on a different issue and also trade. The investment gap we have, according to the African Union Commission of the Program for Infrastructure Development in Africa, really indicates that there is 6.3% of... Growth of economy and also the population growth that really requires a high demand of energy. So you can see that there is a big access gap in investment of this energy. So, but however, as we heard always, that renewable energy Africa is endowed with a huge uh, renewable energy potential, both even non-renewable and renewable as well. And as you see, the geothermal, Africa possesses a remarkable geothermal potential which really means more than 20 gigawatt. And also it has abundant solar, wind, biomass and other resources of energy. But Africa has now a big goal of its developing objective to accelerate the growth of markets of renewable energy and energy efficiency. And also, in the context of poverty eradication or elimination, economic growth and sustainable development, there is a contribution of renewable energy. So the opportunity for energy development in Africa, including geothermal, is instead of talking about challenges, it's better to tell what are the really ample opportunities now in Africa is a variety of renewable energy resources. We solar, hydro, biomass, geothermal and so on and so forth. And also the increased national and regional policy commitment. Now the governments of the African countries are really committed and developing their strategy towards the clean energy development. That is really a very good opportunity. In the climate related financing we have by ADB the scaling up of renewable energy programme, the new initiative of the US Power Africa, the GCF, the climate, the Green Climate Finance, the Green Investment fund, the Climate Investment Finance, emerging financiers also on renewable energy. And the various global, continental and regional energy programme projects, you have heard from the uh, deputy director of IRA that there are new projects coming up. So in Uh, Now in Africa, this is the the UN initiative of the Sustainable Energy for All and the Global uh, Geothermal uh, Development Plan uh, by the World Bank of ISMAP and the Programme for Infrastructure Development in Africa. The new launch during COP21, the African Renewable Energy Initiative, where UNEP has played an important role in this big investment, that is really also an opportunity the African Youth Geothermal Development Program, what we have in the African Union Commission, German Development Bank of the Geothermal Risk Mitigation Facility. These are ample opportunities for development of this geothermal. So now, just talking about then, what is the role of UNEP in these issues? Why energy? Why the clean energy? As you all know, UNEP is one of the uh, UN agencies responsible for environmental matters that is mostly concerned with environmental assessments, analysis, and guidelines. So that is mostly to provide you know, in countries to manage the environment for their sustainable development goals. So UNEP has various thematic areas, about seven, I don't want to go in detail, but the energy part is in this uh, thematic areas of the climate change in the mitigation. And Africa, you know, the UN has different kinds uh, of the regional offices. The African Regional Human Development Program is on the uh, regional office for Africa, based in Kenya. But we have different regional offices, including the regional office uh, of North America here in Washington, D.C. So these are where we are really implementing the different thematic areas, including the energy uh, and climate change. So the energy branch is leading this climate change mitigation which is based uh, in Paris. So actually uh, the main areas of this mitigation is to secure the transition into low emission development pathways, that is to mitigate the greenhouse gas emissions where we are also focusing on the geothermal energy project development. The others are adaptation, read, and also the science and outreach, but this is Mostly that is focusing in terms of the energy part. So UNEP's contribution, including in this regional geothermal development, is mostly providing sound policy advice. We catalyze public and private investments for clean energy development and stimulate the uptake of low greenhouse gas emissions and also the climate-failing technologies. I will give you an example later on how we just really contribute in the RGO program in Africa. So the engagement, mostly we are engaged in the sustainable energy for all, particularly in the energy efficiency uh, part. And also we uh, uh, help the countries on climate change negotiations, and also now UNEP is really playing a role on the agenda 2030. Um, yeah, in the agenda 2030, this of on the sustainable development goals adopted in September 2015 where we all, the UN agencies and also countries are really working to really eradicate poverty and also for sustainable development in each country. And the other is the launch of the African Renewable Energy Initiative. So, we just launched in Africa also the Sustainable Energy for All Initiative. Now, in terms of the Sustainable Development Goals, as you see, an effective integration of the environmental sustainability in Sustainable Development Goals is UNEP what is playing a role particularly in its capacity to produce science-based products including assessment of reports and scientific and technical guidelines. So in this case, the development of renewable energy resource in general and geothermal resource in particular is a critical mass of addressing the prevalent energy po- poverty in Africa. These are the main issues that really relate to energy, the different parts of the sustainable development goals where UNEP is also working in this area. So the energy related projects, you know, we have a number of renewable energy projects, but I will Focus mostly on the main and uh, the GF funded regional African reef geothermal development uh, program that is implemented by UNED. So this uh, program, as you see, you can see that we just are involved from exploration and we catalyze investment and try to really bring the public and private investments to fast drive the development of geothermal energy resource. So as you see here, you have heard, the East Africa Rift system is really a major tectonic structure of the earth where it possesses a remarkable geothermal potential where it has the different volcanic centers that are responsible for production of this geothermal energy resource. So the East Africa Rift system, it extends here from down the Sea down to Mozambique, which is about 6,500 kilometers, where we have a number of... Eastern African countries and the Western branch like Djibouti, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Burundi, Comoros, and here we have also Zambia, Malawi, and Mozambique. That is where we are focusing even beyond the jeff funded project. And as you see, this East African system endowed a huge thermal resource that exists greater than 220,000 megawatts. But if you see today, we have only 630 megawatts that is being generated maybe more than 95% by Kenya, which is uh, followed by Ethiopia. And other, the East African countries which have called uh, just a while ago, none of them have reached at that level. But the governments are really committed and they want to develop their geothermal resources. They want to, they are really trying to revise their energy policy to attract private uh, investors and also developers. You will hear tomorrow if you come to the uh, panel the rise of uh, East African Rift uh, Valley geothermal development and from some countries including the UNEP uh, program. So uh, in this case, our response and the challenge we have is and this is the upfront cost. And particularly the risks associated with resource exploration. So, in that case, the main response we have is the UNEP Arctic program, which is really tries to influence both private and public developers by uh, just trying to minimize the risk associated with uh, resource exploration and uh, development. Here, I would like to recognize the presence of our. Uh, deputy director of the regional office for of Africa, Ms. Fatu. She's also attending, you know, just with me here from uh, UNEP. Yeah. So in this case the RGO provides just fast and targeted demand driven to the challenge of these East African countries to really accelerate this untapped and huge geothermal energy resource in, in uh, the continent. So it brings solution to really mitigate the risk associated with resource exploration and we'll see how just to brief uh, to tell you the Jeff funded I target countries are six they are Eritrea Ethiopia Kenya Rwanda Tanzania and Uganda but apart from that we have other seven additional countries where they are really uh, using our platform in terms of regional networking capacity building, and policy advice as well. So our, mostly the support activities are the technical assistance for surface studies, that is mostly to mitigate the risk associated with this resource exploration, the policy advice to develop a clear and hardcore geothermal policy institutional framework, and also the regional networking information systems where we are able to develop the African geothermal inventory database, for the certain countries, which is available for all public and private developers, and they can get any kind of information related to geothermal in those regions. The other is awareness creation. We just try to go, to talk to the high-level decision-makers, prime ministers, ministers, and presidents, to really create awareness of the use of geothermal, and also to diversify their energy resources. And the capacity-building scheme is also very really important now with UNF, Is really leading and providing a matured institutional uh, support in setting up of the African Regional Center of Excellence with uh, partners. So uh, we have different partners. We have the African Union Commission, the Icelandic uh, Development Agency, United Nations University, U.S. Power Africa, Irena, and many other uh, agents. We have. So so far, you know, we have tried. Just as I said. We tried to create awareness. You can see that even the late prime minister of Ethiopia, we were trying to take them to, to Kenya to show them how geothermal really can contribute to the development of their energy resource. That's how we uh, ended up having in Ethiopia the first IPP of geothermal, so breaking geothermal for 1,000 megawatts with the investment of about four billion dollars. So these are the different ministers and what we have where UNEP is really playing a catalytic role for the policy and other issues. And also we create countries ownership with this. They are the leaders and also the ones who committed to implement UNEP is there only to serve their countries. So I think we can just briefly say that in terms of the projects, what we have done particularly associated with risks to mitigate the risk. The first two projects are, one is in Kenya. I think most of you are familiar, I can see that, who are board of even directors of the Kenyan Geothermal Development Company and Engen. Here is, we have, we tried to help the Geothermal Development Company to study the Silali project and also to mitigate the risk and identify the locate uh, target sites for deep drilling. The other is in Ethiopia in Tendaho, Dukti and Obera. We just managed to produce this project pipeline and submitted to the African Union Commission Geothermal Risk Mitigation Facility where we created an operational linkage that really catalyzed investments. Now, at this stage, these two projects are now just legitimate for the uh, German Development Bank and also for the French Development Agency to go for the drilling there in preparation for uh, drilling after getting the results from, from UNEP. The other four projects now going on, it's not only Kenya and Ethiopia. Many people, when they talk about the East Africa system, they talk about only Kenya and Ethiopia. But now we are in a different scenario. There are a number of countries where you can see now Eritrea, Uganda, Tanzania, and Rwanda. They really want to go for the development of their resource to confirm that whether they have this resource or not. So UNF has really running this uh, four projects in parallel. Now we are implementing it. This is mainly to catalyse investment for geothermal development. This is the, uh, mainly the African geothermal database, what we have created, which is uh, online. The Icelandic development uh, agency, this is the, the Icelandic uh, deputy foreign minister, that launched this uh, database. The other is UNEP is really actively playing a role in uh, capacity building, particularly through its uh, BNL uh, rgo conferences. And I, mean, I know most of you have been to these uh, conferences. It is two years, every two years, we just create this platform for capacity building and NET, uh, working uh, as well. And also, we produce, we prepare capacity buildings in uh, with United Nations Universities, and also with US Power Africa, with this African geothermal program, and also with uh, the German Institute, and also the Icelandic development projects. This is demand driven, and we do it only when countries requested for it. The other one we are currently doing is now the African Geothermal Center of Excellence, which is, I think, for geothermal that is in Africa is the sustainability will come when we just set up this kind of center of excellence in order to have to really create a number of skilled manpower power that will be had in and in this geothermal development. So the last slide what we have is the role that UNEP is playing as you see here is now this is the scenario the different stages where we have for geothermal development scenario this is the early stage where probably most of the uh, greenfield by the public entity that has to be done, where UNEP is playing a role in identifying projects. We have the risk mitigation facility here, created by the African Union. We develop these projects and it can be done. And then we need to bring you know, the private developers, we need a good transaction advisors. Where the US Power Africa is really playing an important role in the region in this uh, catalytic role. So, our plan is now within uh, the countries not to develop 500 to 1,000 megawatts by 2013. This is where UNEP is playing an important role. Our conclusion is uh, that in Africa, the sustainable development will be achieved by having only sustainable energy, specifically also the geothermal energy. So the private sector participation is crucial, that's what we need, and also the partnership and also is a very important role, and you can see in terms of strategy now, countries have developed their policy and have already ready for this investment. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity.
0: Thank you very much. And we will now turn uh, to our next presenter, who is Benjamin Maddock, who is the Research Projects Manager for the Geothermal Energy Association, uh, where he is really responsible for uh, staying on top of the status of geothermal domestically as well as internationally and provides uh, a lot of thoughtful documentation. and. Research and analysis with regard to uh, policy issues, the status of the industry, and uh, whatever the association and its members feel is needed with regard to research and uh, white papers. Thank you. Thank you for that nice
1: introduction. Oh, I have
5: change it down here. That no. uh, should work up here. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry for that. Okay. So, give uh, you a little brief who I am, we're the Geothermal Energy Association. We're a trade association of 150 different uh, geothermal power companies who work all over the world. As you can see from this graph, this, graph, this is a graph of different places that our companies are working. Uh, and also one that is a nice picture if you're wondering where are the currently identified geothermal projects globally. This is a nice picture of it as well. Um, a lot of European countries, uh, you can see the South Pacific, Australia, South America is just beginning to look at geothermal. Uh, North America we've had plants since the 70s, a lot of people don't uh, know that, um, but uh, in Canada 60s, is- 60s. 60s, sorry, 60s. <laughs> I wasn't alive that so. Uh, uh, And, uh, uh, yeah. Um, And just quickly what I'm going to do, I think this will be a nice transition because we just learned about the international market. I'm going to briefly cover the international market, and then I'm going to end up talking about the U.S., and then I think Doug and Jack will talk a little bit about the U.S. as well. Um, And then if you didn't know what a geothermal power plant looks like, a lot of people don't, uh, you might drive by them all the time if you're driving out west and not even realize. Uh, that is a picture of what one would look like up close down to the bottom. Oh and that's Deb's plant. That's <laughs> all he's going to be looking at. Today. That is the US Geothermals plant um, in Idaho. Idaho. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for letting us see that picture. <laughs>
2: uh,
5: so here is the uh, forecast we've started doing for a few years now for the geothermal sector. People often ask us where is the sector going. Uh, the blue line is where we've been. So that dotted blue line is what we forecast we did three or four years ago. So you can see we've already exceeded our forecast, which is some heating up news, exciting news. Um, the top green line is announced projects. So that's projects where a company or a, a company or a country or a government agency. Uh, someone who's trying to build a power plant the utility uh, said, we want to build a plant by this in this state that is geothermal energy powered." The bottom line is plants that have already started construction, so that's plants there's that already holes in the ground, and they've done they've done flow tests, and they know that there's power coming out of the ground. And that's why it sort of levels off, because it takes three, it takes 17 to 34 months to build a power plant. So normally those don't uh, get announced as, as quickly. Um, so 18.3 gigawatts, a little over 18, by early 2020s, and uh, 14, almost 15 gigawatts of plants under construction right now. So you learned a little bit about global geothermal lines in earlier presentations, uh, which is working with IRENA and UN and a bunch of other international bodies. The, that is the blue line. Of, that is the goal they want to identify. They want to uh, increase geothermal six times and um, then by the 2030s. Uh, You've announced geothermal goals at the, in the green at the bottom. That is, countries have identified, set targets, for utilities, or regions, or states, or counties um, globally have set targets, and that is what they have said they want to build by such and such date. And the blue line is what we call geothermal potential. I hope geologists no in the room get mad at me for how I'm about to describe this, but uh, geothermal potential is identify projects or resources globally, and that right now equals about 200 gigawatts. Um, and that is just traditional hydrothermal resources. Uh, that is not EGS. That is not co-production. That is not uh, direct use. I mean, those those would multiply that. That would raise that dotted strike area probably by five, six, seven, eight, if not more times. Um, and so that just gives you a picture of what the industry needs to do to sort of meet that Irena goal or DGA goal, and what can be done in the future with we're talking about just one sort of sub, like the most mainstream sort of sector of the geothermal industry. Um. Uh, one of the misconceptions about geothermal is that we are an old, ancient technology. Um, yes, it was true that the first geothermal plant was built about 100 years ago, but so was the first solar plant, so was the first wind plant. If you go on, you know, plug your phone, look at Wikipedia right now. Um, you can see right now, sort of, a couple things from this chart: the different mainstream technologies that geothermal on. You can also see sort of some technological uh, evolution in the industry. That light green, at the top line, is, is the expansion of the binary turbine, which enabled the industry to build projects on lower temperature fields that we weren't able to do 20 years ago. Uh, that, and that you can see that now is growing to be about 16% of the market. And we've just sort of started exploring those types of resources in the U.S. There's tons of systems that haven't even been built on yet that are. That could build those types of power plants. You see triple flash, which is a new idea, a new idea of putting more turbines on a, on, a, on a single field that just started being done a few years ago. Um, and that's the purplish line there in the middle. Uh, you have the evolution of single flash, double flash, and dry steam, which is sort of the oldest style of plant. Um, that is the, the plant, the geysers out in California right now, is a lot of strip dry steam type turbines. Uh, if you were wondering, and now sort of transitioning to the US, if you're wondering where are these plants in the US, here's a nice picture. The, this is a map of EGS resources, but I also picked it because it has hydrothermal, traditional hydrothermal plants on it as well. Um, the black dots are identifying traditional hydrothermal systems. So That's where water already exists in the ground, and we're going to pull it up and make that use that energy to make a power plant. Um, the, the rest of the color coding is, is EGS. One, I think the biggest takeaway I would encourage everyone to realize from this is that there's some type of geothermal everywhere, there's heat everywhere in the United States. So every congressional district, every county, every state, you can do some type of geothermal project. If that's a direct use system where you're running a greenhouse, if that is a power plant because you're in California and you have the best geology for running power, building power plant, if that is, I don't know why Alaska or Hawaii are not color-coded, but Hawaii is a volcanic island, it definitely has geothermal power. Uh, so. I mean, there's a guy in Idaho who farms alligators with geothermal direct use heating systems. So, it is a you know don't don't think this is a West Coast technology. It's an everywhere. Technology. Here is sort of a quick history of the geothermal industry in the U.S. Um, right now we are about 3.6, 3.7 gigawatts of power. It depends sort of on the if you want to talk about net or nameplate uh, or. Uh, what, what the total potential of a specific turbine is. Um, but you have sort of PERPA, which is a huge expansion of the industry after PERPA was passed. Uh, you have the net expansion after the PTC ITC uh, uh, was passed in 2005. And a very popular program among some of the companies in this room is the Grid program, it was a small two million dollar program to help uh, get grants to to uh, developers to build projects. Um, probably haven't you'll always see this chart at any geothermal conference you go to. Uh, This is geothermal, one of the barriers to geothermal is the high upfront risk. Uh, And you can see that on the left. Projects get less and less risky as they go on, so it's really hard to find investment. Um, Even though it's not that expensive to start a project, it's the expenses later when you're actually building. Um, And so that is why that the best types, some of the most popular types of policy incentives that work for geothermal are ones that help reduce that risk in the beginning of the project. Um, so I think companies, uh, geothermal companies in the U.S. love the ITC because they can take that cash and they can reinvest it in the next project. Um, uh, and uh, so, yeah, projects. main point here is that projects that help reduce that upfront risk, incentives that help reduce that upfront risk are really popular, and one of the problems with geothermal in the U.S. is we sort of had stops and starts of, of, the, of those types of incentives that have really hindered the industry to be able to grow on levels comparable with solar, our friends in solar, wind, or biomass, or hydropower. Um, I mean, here's one quick example. There's many more of uh, California. California has built a system of very high asymmetrical incentives favoring solar over geothermal. And that's why there's that famous duck curve, which you might have heard about somewhere else in California. Uh, they had the Clean Power Plan gives included solar. Geothermal is not included in there. Uh, there's a, a state tax credit rebate for California for solar. There's not one for geothermal. There's a property tax expense for geothermal for solar in California. There's not one for geothermal. They get special rates for net metering. We had someone who's trying to build a small distributed use system uh, in geothermal in California. He could not get a net metering uh, price for it, uh, and there's special solar Uh, racks. uh And uh, quickly, people don't realize geysers has been built was first built in the 60s. It's one of the oldest geothermal fields, and it could easily be expanded. There's shovel-ready geothermal projects in the Imperial Valley, and up to over two gigawatts of potential power there that could be built either using California or exported throughout the West. Um, And then there's a few other locations, like Northern California, um, that have lots of power that could potentially be built. Um, So that's all I have. Here's my email. Always welcome to shoot me an email. If you have more questions, it's on the mirror board. Uh, And uh, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, that was a really good and very, very quick rundown of what the overall situation looks like on both the policy side as well as the resource side. So I think we just have a lot more work to do to get more and more of that information out and also the whole host of of, um, technology applications that geothermal really can provide that I think so many people are really not aware of. So we're not going to... um, uh, hear from that person whose plant we saw, uh, Doug Glasky, who is a founder of U.S. Geothermal uh, Inc., and he is also the president and CEO of U.S. Geothermal, and the company was started in 2001, became public in 2003, and geo- U.S. Geothermal has built, owns, and operates three binary cycle geothermal power plants in the, in the uh, West right now. Uh, and the good news is that they are currently developing uh, a series of projects in the U.S., uh, in other locations, as well as in Guatemala. Dad, is welcome.
6: Thank you, Carol. Uh, welcome everybody. Glad to have you here today. I'm also the current president of the Geothermal Energy Association, an honor that was bestowed recently. Uh, we are a public company, so I'll, I'll give our forward-looking statement. <laughs> but we are, uh, as Carol said, we're located in the western U.S. We're headquartered in Boise, Idaho, and we've been public since 2003. I have to learn how to use the clicker, clearly. So we are western U.S. base, of course. We have a number of projects, but we've also stepped offshore into Guatemala was about five years ago. We have the three operating power plants. We have developed all those plants from scratch, basically, uh, built, owned, and operate currently. And then we have a number of advanced and exploration-level <coughs> development projects. The geysers in Northern California is our most advanced project, followed by El Sobio down in Guatemala. I came up today to talk a little bit about com- comparing, I guess, between what's going on in the U.S., and what's going on, especially in emerging uh, economies. Of course, in the United States, we have a flat or declining grid load. As a matter of fact, an article just came out yesterday from the US Energy Information Agency in 2015. The amount of power that was sold in the US went down 1.1%. We've gone down five out of the last eight years. Now, when I started in this business a mere 12 years ago, we were looking at one5 to 2% growth rates. And it looked like it was all sunshine going forward on selling electricity. As we've heard today in the uh, developing nations, it's a growing load, an expanding grid. They're like the United States probably was at the turn of the century, in the 20s and 30s, when we had the REA and the government was out there building power lines, building dams, and giving power to every house in the country. In the U.S., because we have a long history, we have mostly smaller resources, and many of them are moderate temperature we do still have a couple very large high-temperature resources that are standing by waiting for development. Again, offshore, mostly larger and higher temperature resources, so it's easier to build larger power plants. That makes the economics better. It's been mentioned earlier, in the US, our government incentives tend to be very short-term and they're unreliable. They get extended for a year, sometimes They're backwards for a year, or we get one week left in a year. makes it very hard for an industry to plan and develop projects. Uh, We see, of course, in East Africa, places like the Philippines, lots of development is supported by the country itself. They spend money drilling resources. The World Bank's there. There's international funds. Everybody wants to put money into those areas to develop those resources. Permitting in the U.S. on federal lands is difficult and expensive. In the western U.S., where we do most of our work, we're looking at 60 to 70 percent of the land mass of many of these states, sometimes higher, is federal land. So we're forced to deal with federal permitting and NEPA. To give you an example, we have a drilling program. We drilled last year some temperature gradient wells. We designed and built those wells so we could re-enter them and drill them deeper if they were successful. We applied to drill two of those wells deeper six months ago. The well pads there, the casing's in the ground, the roads are there, we're still waiting for the BLM to let us drill those wells another 1,000 feet deeper. It boggles my mind. But what happens is, everything's done at the district level in the BLM. They have a high turnover rate of personnel and they don't have the expertise. So every time somebody leaves an office and a new person comes in, they start all over again on your project. makes it very difficult on these projects. We do see relatively fast permitting, I think, overseas, because, again, the government wants that energy, and they want renewable energy, most of all. Our government says we want renewable energy, but it doesn't translate down to the district level at the BLM, I can tell you that for sure. For the most part of the U.S., the exploration risk is borne by the developer. Dan mentioned we had the GRED program a few years ago where they cost-shared drilling with us, and that was very helpful for developers like myself and other companies trying to build power projects because it reduced our risk. It's very hard to raise equity funds. If you run into venture capital guys, they want 30% return on their investment. That's just not the geothermal business. We're selling electricity. There isn't that kind of margin. So it makes it hard to go out and raise money. In many cases, in uh, offshore countries, developing nations spend that money to do the drilling, or there's international funds that spend that money to do the drilling. And the developer just has to come in and build a power plant on an existing resource. We also in the US have a plethora of low cost energy options now. Natural gas is hit bottom, solar is going crazy. We've got public companies putting solar panels on everybody's rooftops. It's just kind of a nutty place for renewable energy, but it's growing fast. In most developing nations, they don't have those options yet. So we have a lot of uh, a lot of competition in the U.S., which is always good, of course. And then, as I say last, economics, economics, economics. As a company, we have to make a profit for our shareholders. So at some point in this whole process. After we drill, dry holes, good wells, build power plants, sell electricity, we've got to be able to make a profit for our shareholders. Our country's goals, I think, have to be aligned if we really want renewable energy, and I think the solar folks have had a bit of a problem in the firm end. Of course, they clear much larger pieces of land than we do, but that's beside the point. Now, As we dry our tears, in the U.S., it's not all bad news. We have a great, well-developed transmission infrastructure, so I don't have to build hundreds of miles of transmission for my project. We have one of the most experienced geothermal workforces and technical teams in the world. Those same people now are helping in East Africa to build out other people's geothermal projects. We have a great drilling industry. You've got to have a drilling industry with that support in order to successfully drill geothermal projects. If you need drill bits, if you need drill steel, whatever you need, it's gotta be relatively close by or the cost of drilling goes through the roof. One of the big saviors in the U.S. has been the state renewable portfolio standards. States like California, Nevada really started that, I guess. We have got Oregon now that's gone to a 50% standard just like California, that creates markets. Those utilities now are rethinking their goals. They have to go out and find renewable energy. As Ben mentioned, the duck curve, maybe they bought too much solar in the last few years and they don't know what to do with it during the day. Uh, Solar doesn't produce at night very well, so they have to start looking at folks like geothermal. The Department of Energy has been able to maintain the geothermal technologies program and actually increase funding, not just to help us with the hydrothermal program, but to help with EGS, Engineered Geothermal Systems, which is a real great future shot for us. And of course, back to the federal incentive. The 30% ITC has been a real boon for for, uh, our industry, but the fact of the matter is we need a five-year term. We don't need a one-year term. One year drives us crazy when we do economic models for a project that takes five to seven years to build we only have a window. We can go talk to our financial institutions and say, well, here's the price of our power if we have the ITC or if we have the PTC, but we've got to know what we're going to have in the future. And I urge everybody who works in congressional offices, either in this room or listening in, to give us some help. So, last but not least, why geothermal? It's a baseload power source. It's a direct replacement for coal or nuclear. There's a lot of coal plants that are being shut down. The state of Oregon just mandated shutting down its coal plants. Nevada's done the same. California's done the same. you got to replace it with something. You can do it with natural gas, I guess. It doesn't require firming power like the intermittents. It doesn't require energy storage like the intermittents. Solar sounds really cheap until you want to turn your light switch on at 12 o'clock at night. Then you've either got to have storage or firming capacity, and that costs extra money. It provides grid stability. I'd hate to be a grid operator today. I have to tell you. I sat and watched a power meter off a solar plant when a cloud went over. They can go from 100 megawatts to 0 megawatts in seconds. Now, grid operators are keeping us safe today, but that's getting harder and harder for them to do. It also has the highest job density than renewable. Geothermal provides jobs. Some people don't care about that, but I can guarantee you that the county that you're in and the city that you're close to does care about jobs. And if you're worried about the environment, we have the smallest footprint and the lowest visual impact of any renewable technology, and we have minimal impact to wildlife. So to close, I'd like to say that we like geothermal. We think it's the best technology available, and I'd be happy to listen to anybody's questions here in a little bit. Thank you very much.
0: why you're the chairman of the association absolutely (laughs) so uh, we now want to turn to uh, to Jack Theroff who is the director of regulatory affairs for Enel Green Power and he has been with uh, Enel Green Power for uh, the last several years since uh, 2012 and before that, he and when we first met, he was with the Business Council for Sustainable Energy. So that he really brings a background in a lot of different renewable and efficiency technologies. And uh, Eno is, is, is in terms of Jack's work with Eno, he is involved in terms of looking at regulatory affairs for both um, the United States and Canada at both the state or provincial level as well as at the federal level for for North America. So um, we are glad to hear from you, Jack, about everything that Enel is doing in this space.
7: Thank you very much for that introduction. Thank you everybody for coming. Uh, It's really a a pleasure and honor to be part of the group uh, today. Let's see if I... I um, So, uh, thank you. And uh, before I get going, I actually wanted to pick up on a remark from uh, from Ryan from uh, Senator Reed's office as uh, he uh, welcomed to us today. Um, and that was a uh, test of willpower uh, uh, as a concept in the policy arena uh,
2: and also for geothermal development. As you've heard from the first four speakers, I think you've heard that geothermal is a fantastic resource. Uh, Fantastic
7: technology, provides a lot of benefits to the grid, but it is a test of of willpower. It takes uh, tough, smart people to pull it off. Um, I think that's also true um, as we've talked about some of the policy challenges that we've had. So I like that that framing. A test of willpower, um, that's what uh, the geothermal industry is about. Um, So what I'm hoping to do today is tell you a little bit about who we are at Enel Green Power. And then I think you'll hear me echo. A few of the um, reflections on the U.S. market, on the international market, and then what um, what unique attributes and policy are really uh, needed to help drive uh, geothermal development? Okay, let me start. And now, who are we and what do we do? Uh, Enel uh, is part of a very large, one of the world's largest
2: electric utilities, uh, based in Rome, Italy, but active in more than thirty countries.
7: Uh, We've about 90 gigawatts of total uh, generation, really all of the above, that includes nuclear, includes renewables, uh, includes fossil fuels. Uh, again, my responsibilities are just for the U.S. and Canada, but wanted to give you a framing about uh, what we're doing and where we're doing it. Um, and also to emphasize that our outlook, and I think this is helpful for, for geothermal, just for renewables more broadly, our parent company. The bulk of our new investment is going into renewable energy. Uh, and that's not for our
2: renewable, you know, subsidiary. That's for the entire for the entire company. It's a strategic uh, shift and a recognition
7: about uh, how the world is different than it was uh, ten years ago, different than it was five years ago. Uh, we see renewables um, as the future. Uh, we see decarbonization as a must, uh, not only for a kind of a, a social responsibility concept, but for the bottom line of the of the business. Uh, renewables are are where it's at. Uh, also, with uh, improving improving and strengthening the grid, um, and I think that has a strong tie also uh, to as so we're looking to developing markets where there's a, a need for infrastructure investment and there's a need for additional generation. Uh, This is uh, our footprint here in the United States. Uh, We're unique in this market in that we work across four different technologies. We do run of river hydropower, we do solar, we do wind, we do geothermal, Uh, we're the largest owner of wind projects in the state of Kansas, I think we're number two in uh, Oklahoma. We also have um, 150-year-old dams that were old mill sites in New England that uh, following PERPA, were uh, repowered and uh, turned into uh, renewable energy uh, facilities. Um, And our uh, geothermal footprint is all out west, um, in Nevada and in Utah. Uh, When I joined the company in 2012, we were just getting up to a gigawatt, Uh, we're at 2.5 gigawatts uh, today, so a reflection of, of pretty rapid growth. Uh, Let me just say very briefly about Enel's uh, deep roots uh, in the geothermal industry. Uh, The first um, uh, geothermal uh, resource to electric production uh, was actually done in Tuscany, uh, and that field and some of that infrastructure is still operating. Uh, So we like to say that geothermal is really a a jewel in the crown for for Enel, uh, uh, an area where we take a lot of uh, great pride it's obviously aesthetically very pleasing in Tuscany. Uh, there's actually a photo there of the ribbon cutting in 2013 for the Geothermal uh, Museum in Tuscany. So when you're planning your next Italian vacation, please do remember <laughs> the Museum of Geothermal Energy. Um, I have not been, but I'm sure it quite, uh, it's quite... A, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. Uh, it absolutely is. Uh, and just to give you uh, an example, I think, of, of two things. One, that um, you know, it's a very established... Uh, workable uh, technology. I'm going to talk about kind of cutting edge technology as part of that as well, um, and also just if, you know, this is a resource that can work for a very long time uh, and It's something that's very important to our company. So uh, here in the United States we have three operating plants, uh, two in Nevada, one in Utah. Um, I will highlight the project uh, far to your left, uh, Stillwater, uh, which is outside of Reno. Uh, and that is a product that's been first in the world two times over. Uh, in 2012, we integrated 26 megawatts of uh, photovoltaic next to the geothermal plant. Uh, the reason we did that is as a, a binary air cooled uh, uh, geothermal plant, we're seeing dips in production during the hottest times of the year and during the hottest parts of the day. Uh, those also tend to be where electricity demand is the highest. Uh, because the ambient air temperature is, is high, it was difficult to uh, uh, to cool down the, the, the geothermal uh, resources that was coming up. Um, and so the PV uh, matched quite nicely, giving us a boost of production instead of a dip. Uh, and then just recently, and actually we're going to have a dedication for this project uh, in the coming weeks, we're able to integrate um, a 2-megawatt concentrated solar power uh, project directly into... Uh, into the geothermal project. Um, so the first time that PV and Geo was paired, also the first time that CSP uh, was paired with geothermal. Uh, these are state-of-the-art uh, power plants. Uh, there's a
2: large amount of innovation in the industry. Uh, I wanted to kind of contrast this with that kind
7: of 100 years of uh, geothermal history in Italy uh, to say that the industry is uh, innovating and doing some pretty, uh, pretty exciting things. Uh, we're obviously very proud of that project, and I like to point at it for that kind of map of all the countries where we're at, that uh, this is probably the coolest project that's in that fleet, or at least that's what I like to, to tell our folks in Germany. Um, we are also um, putting into service, uh, projected for next year, uh, the first geothermal project uh, in South America. This is in Chile, a very unique project, uh, at quite a high altitude uh, a demanding project from a uh, from a construction uh, standpoint should be at uh, 48 uh, megawatts of total capacity when finished. Um, an exciting uh, exciting place for us, and um, a part of our, our company's real focus on Latin America uh, for geothermal and for all technology. We think it um, has a lot of promise. Okay, so uh, you'll I think this will echo some of what you've heard before, um, but looking at uh, the matchup between uh, the market context and where we stand for policy, uh, there is a distinction in the in the U.S. Uh, renewables market. Geothermal uh, is lagging behind uh, wind and solar. Uh, there are some uh, kind of structural reasons for that. Uh, you know, we've heard a longer development timeline. So, uh, from your first dollar invested for a wind project compared to a geothermal project, you'll be selling electricity sooner for a wind project. That obviously makes a difference for for financing. Uh, at times we can have uh, higher uh, levelized cost of energy, which um, you know, can be an issue for us. Uh, there's a more confined resource. Uh, wind is, is uh, The wind blows in more places than where it's uh, commercially feasible to develop uh, a geothermal project. Um, and on the policy side, uh, state policies have generally not recognized or rewarded the baseload characteristic of geothermal uh, power plants. Uh, we've heard federal tax policies, um, just by their timelines, uh, have advantaged technologies that can start construction and, and finish quicker than, than geothermal. Uh, there's a real mismatch, in a way, an irony now that the longest certainty is provided for the technologies that, uh, you know, we do wind and solar too. So I don't mean this in a, in a, in a biased way. Uh, can be done more, more quickly. Um, so geothermal has the shortest outlook, uh, but also the, the longest time from uh, start construction to being completed. Um, and as we heard also, a large percentage of resources on federal lands, uh, which can be more difficult, uh, more timely to, uh, uh, to develop. Uh, and just looking at some of the contrasts internationally, um, there is more growth uh, outside the U.S. than here. Um, there is still, you know, geothermal's a player among the other, renewable technologies not uh, dominating, but, but plays a bigger role. Uh, we have certainly seen strong markets uh, in East Africa and in Southeast Asia. Uh, we have a, a strong focus on Latin America. And just reflecting on some of the why the differences: um, higher price of electricity uh, generally in some of these developing markets where there isn't uh, incredibly cheap uh, natural gas uh, available. Um, also growing electricity demand. Uh, as we heard, you know, electricity uh, consumption actually decreased uh, last year uh, compared to the previous year. That's obviously not the case for uh, quickly developing economies. Uh, and we can also see uh, places where government policy is more focused on the longer on the longer term, potentially more centralized. Um, in the U.S., we have a, a more decentralized system, tend to be uh, shorter term in our outlook on on energy policies and on um, kind of, uh, forced or, or organized government procurement. So, uh, and, but, you know, kind of the the, the follow up to you know, let's wipe wipe away the tears. Um, we think the geothermal is a, a fantastic resource. Um, it is unique uh, for a variety of reasons. It's base load. There's no long-term fuel uncertainty. Um, it's resilient production. Uh, <coughs> zero uh, to low emissions, zero to low water consumption for binary plants. Uh, it adds diversity in the power supply, which we think is, is certainly important um, if there's a, you know, a rush to one technology and um, unbalance the system. Um, but because it is unique, it also needs thoughtful and unique
2: treatment from policymakers. Um, long-term contracting is incredibly
7: important. Uh, making sure the incentives are, are, are paired up and, and equivalent for other technologies. Uh, supporting mitigation of drilling risks. Um, efficient permitting programs. Um, these are all areas where um, we think policy can better sync up with uh, what Geothermal has to offer. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Uh, thanks very much. We have a few minutes remaining for questions and to really further this whole discussion. So we uh, welcome any questions or comments that you might have. Send is
7: there a microphone okay.
0: uh, There is a microphone coming, if you could wait for it. Thank you very much.
7: Thanks. Um, I wanted to actually ask about um, if you to go a little deeper about incentives. Um, and maybe the equity markets a little bit. I, I my colleagues colleague, and I recently finished a white paper on NLPs, REITs, and Yulkers. Um So maybe, I don't, yeah, whichever speaker I guess would like to take this, but um, what, your outlook is on you know, whether Senator Kuhn's um, NLP Parity Act unfortunately, won't be passed, but it um, had a tax advantage, um structure, um, in this case, NLPs for um, Renewables, geos, um, geothermal included. Um, and then, of course, we. I, I think that, um, yeah, and I recently opted out of the Yulko um, in the US, um, which is, as remember, a lot of people will know, Yulko's have experienced significant market turmoil. But so, yeah, so how, you know, it's just in terms of, um, um, even in, in domestic context, but, a, but a, um, from a competitive advantage standpoint, of how this, how such projects play out internationally um, against other um, companies that have that are using tax structures, um, and
0: yeah, I don't, know, it's, a, it's a, broad topic, but I, I think it's pretty important. <laughs> okay, so the two guys. You here. Thank
7: you. And uh, <laughs> I might try to just depending on the for the room give a little bit of context and correct me if I'm. Mischaracterizing something, and then we'll uh, try to answer um, kind of quickly and quickly. Um So, part of the question is how do you finance uh, these projects, and for projects that have tax incentives, uh, how are you potentially um, making those credits usable? How are how are you using them um, within the product finance? Um, there has been, um, and just for for context as well, I will not kind of prognosticate on what legislation might get passed or not, uh, but legislation uh, introduced to open up uh, uh, master limited partnerships to renewables uh, to encourage um, uh, another level of investor uh, into this market. MLPs are, are currently restricted to uh, certain fossil fuel industries, and has been cited as a as a, as a driver for um, lower cost of capital um, for those industries. Um, as you reference, an Green power doesn't have a, a yield co. Yield co. Is essentially um, another financing instrument where we're able to get more smaller investors involved and, and have a lower you know the idea is have a lower cost of capital uh, for investors who are looking for steady long term returns. Um, part of the reason why that works well for renewables is that these are very generally predictable projects. You you know what you're you don't have uh, you know a, full, a fuel cost input you're generally selling under a long-term contract, you can know, be very, uh, very predictable, and that can be attractive to a certain uh, group of investors With uh, us more or less uh, framing, it, um, framing it correctly. Um, I will say for, for um, looking at our experience here, cost of capital is an important piece in looking at project economics, but um, it's not a, a panacea. It's one element. And if projects are viable for um, the kind of larger basket of reasons in terms of cost, um, in terms of uh, the, the cost of electricity you're able to sell at, you know, if those projects are able to pencil out, renewables have tended to be a pretty you know,
2: capital-rich environment in the US. And so whether there's a constraint on um, just
7: investment flowing into market I, I don't think we've seen that. We haven't seen that yet. Um, that's not to say that the legislation isn't isn't positive, but I, I don't know that that's as we are listing kind of other policy priorities uh, top level for the for the geothermal industry.
6: No, I think uh, uh, Jack's absolutely right. Uh, we've talked about MLPs for a long time in the geothermal business. It would be another tool in our tool belt, I guess. Uh, I think more than anything we'd like to get some parity because all renewables aren't treated the same. Uh, Clearly wind led the charge with the PTC for a number of years and it was always called the wind PTC for about the first 10 years until the Energy Policy Act of 2005 when it really was adopted for use by all renewables including geothermal. So, and Ben mentioned in a number of cases where solar gets, you know, favorable tax treatment either on the state or federal level that geothermal or maybe wind now doesn't get. So more than anything, we'd like to have parity. Uh, Being able to plan long term is is a very big deal for us because our developments do take a long time. Typically, wind, uh, you have to collect wind data for a year or let's say it's $100,000 and you can run out and build a wind project. Uh, Most solar data you can find on the internet Uh, So you don't have to spend a lot of money to pick a place to build a solar facility. Geothermal is completely different. We have to spend millions of dollars and take several years to get to the point where we know we have a reservoir, that we can build a certain size power plant, and we have to get a PPA and then we have to get financing. So the time frame is completely different. Uh, If we can just get some of the uh, legislation to recognize that and put us on a level playing field, I think we'll do just fine.
0: Great. Right, Whoa. All right. So let's start over here. So we'll start here, and then we'll work our way around. But just right. Um, what are the most effective ways to develop geothermal energy in Latin America, and what typical roadblocks must be overcome? Um, I
7: will. Make sure you use your microphones. Okay. 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 I red is on. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, and I'll. Covered and the press can follow-up as well. Uh, definitely appreciate the question. I will have to admit my expertise is not in uh, development in in Latin America, um, and so may uh, defer uh, giving you an answer that would be less than uh, complete or informed. But um, I will be happy to point you towards uh, the resources that we put out uh, specifically on the on the projects in Chile. Um, how it works um, and what our hopes are for the market going forward.
6: Yeah, i just make a quick comment, I think what, what our experience has been is uh, not completely unlike going into a state in the United States that's never had a geothermal development before. Uh, many of these countries have never had geothermal development, so they really don't know how to how to let you develop something from top to bottom, starting with your first phase of exploration through drilling. Uh, even in Guatemala, for instance, where there are two operating geothermal power plants, uh, they've been operating for 15 years or more, but those plants were drilled by, with international funds, so the well field was never developed by uh, a private developer. Uh, they let out the power plant development, and that, so the power plants were developed on that basis. Uh, they still have to figure out how they're going to give those rights to you, Because remember, you have to own the right if you're gonna finance something, so that's a big deal, not just finding it, but making sure that the concession you get is solid enough so you can go, even if it's to the World Bank, and say, I have a 30-year concession granted by the government right here in writing, and you can rely on that concession so that when those guys lend you $150 or $200 million, they know that you're gonna be able to carry out uh, that project and have the concession in your possession. Now, there's always political risk, so we talk about political risk. Sometimes I see as much political risk in, in the U.S. as I do in, in countries overseas, because we don't know what the legislation is gonna look like next year. Uh, so that's, I guess that would be my view on developing overseas. It's been interesting though, know, and it's kind of
2: fun. Okay, uh, let's, okay,
0: go these two first and then to the-
4: Then you mentioned the size of the EGS resource, and this is an emerging technology that uh, really has big promise not just to develop a lot more geothermal power, but also to mitigate some of that exploration risk Doug was talking about. Um, In uh, Germany and France and other EU countries, EGS projects are, in fact, developing because they do have incentives to get them off the ground. So um, you know, I, would, I would just like to comment that some of these incentives that we might like to see for geothermal
1: can really help us scale um, using EGS technology. Okay. Good, that's a good point. Um, great,
6: go ahead. So I think it's fair to say that uh, you didn't get some of the love that some of the other renewables got back in December. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on how, why that happened. Um, how uh, this piece sort of uh, didn't fit in with the rest of the puzzle that was being put together, um, and how you're thinking
2: that a uh, solution to that might work going forward. Is that possible for sort of just here on the Hill on
6: its own, or are you going to need a future administration that has this as a higher priority? Is it, what, what, what's your strategy?
2: Um, Go for
6: it. I, think, I think we're taking a number of folks at their word, and it was just a mistake. It was an oversight, uh, geothermal should have been included, especially in the Section 48 fix. So we're expecting
2: a fix, we'd like to see the Congress, the Senate, the House get together and fix it because uh, it's fair and that would give us, uh, for instance, Section 48
6: gives you five years now under the 30% IPC and then it phases out. Well. That's what we've been asking for. Give us, a, give us a long enough runway that we can go out and do projects, make plans, finance projects. And uh, I think you'll see a lot of development in the US if we can get that fix done. Uh, we, there are a number of uh, folks working on it right now as we speak. Uh, we have people out doing congressional visits. I'll be doing the same thing this afternoon and tomorrow. So uh, we have high hopes that they'll find a bill to, uh, to attach that fix to. Uh, it should be a relatively simple fix. The, uh, the senior members that agreed to this in the beginning all say that it was an oversight and can be fixed. So that's our
7: hope. Exactly. Uh, just on timeline, um, I think you know, the, the discussion has always been this year. It's a 2016 uh, deadline. Um, and so the hope would be you know, this, this administration is here.
0: And this Congress is short on legislative days, so I know that it's a priority for a lot of people, and there is a, quite a lot of talk about it. Um, okay, there, there was another question right there. Mm-hmm.
4: When you're looking to site a, uh, a geothermal facility, what are the geographic-slash-geological-slash-topographic features that make of this site?
6: I guess I'll start. Uh, you know, when we started the company, I came out of the mining business, which is another business where you spend a lot of money trying to find things. And I always said it was a treasure hunt. So finding geothermal projects, it's kind of the same way. It's kind of a treasure hunt. You go out and spend a lot of time looking and on very rare occasions you, you find that treasure that's a commercial geothermal resource. Uh, having said that, and looking at geology and and all the technologies used to try and find the right place to drill. We also look at something that's close to transmission because transmission costs money. Uh, In the geothermal business, as an IPP, you have to pay for any transmission to get your project on the grid. So if you're 100 miles away from the grid or 10 miles away from the grid, it makes a big difference. You also want to look for market. As I said, it's it's economics. Uh, Where? In what state are they buying your power? Are they looking for renewable energy? And that's why the renewable portfolio standards were so important, because Nevada, California, now Oregon, and a number of other states in the U.S. now have RPSs. They want our power. They're essentially saying, we want renewable energy. Um, So those things are very important. Uh, Of course, we've got a couple geologists that uh, go out there and lick rocks. Uh, as we say, uh, and they look at structural controls. And there's, of course, a lot of geologic uh, requirements that have to be met to have something that's large enough. And without getting into the weeds, there are certain type, rock types that don't store enough energy because, at the end of the day, we're mining heat. Uh, you know, over tens of thousands of years, this resource has been built up by a heat source. It's a large body of hot water underground, and it's taken Tell me, Anne, 100,000 years, 200,000 years? Hundreds of thousands of years to create it. We still have to find it. Sometimes there's a hot spring at the surface. That's the classical prospecting technique, I'd say. You find a hot spring, we're able to sample that water, do a chemical analysis, and, and get what's called a geothermometer calculation. So that water can be lukewarm at the surface. But this geothermometer might tell you that the source temperature was over 350 degrees Fahrenheit, for instance. Well, that's the kind of temperature you want to look for. You might go to another hot springs and it could be boiling at the surface, 212 degrees. But the geothermometer might only be 220 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that's not a very good temperature. So there's all kinds of prospecting techniques that we use, but we also look at proximity. Uh, If you listen uh, to some of the presentations tomorrow, Guatemala, for instance, uh, that project we have in Guatemala uh, not only has some drilling on it previously, but it's also literally on the outskirts of Guatemala City, the largest uh, group of people in Central America. It is the load Center in Central America, and it's 12 kilometers away. Well, that's a great place to be when you're trying to sell electricity. So it really is a mix of a number of different aspects.
4: Great. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, East African, uh, just to answer about the geographic distribution is uh, you know the East African System is one of the major tectonic structure where we have all the heat source, You can see it at the surface in terms of fumaroles, hot springs, and also steaming grounds. That's an indication. And as um just to say what we do now, for example, in UNEP, we are trying now to really assist countries because by seeing only hot springs and fumaroles, it doesn't mean that you have the resource there. So we do an integrated geoscientific studies like geology. We do the structure, geology, hydrogeology, because we want to know the recharge. And also the parameters for geotermine is the temperature, whether you have a high temperature or not. And the reservoir rock, that's permeability you have, and also the recharge. So we do all the integrated geology, geochemistry, and after that we just ask the geophysicists, you know, to do to say some current and to tell us where the low resistivity is. Low resistivity means where we have the reservoir rock. So that's the kind of integrated geoscientific study what we the UNEP. Uh, our job program try to assist countries. We really need to show the occurrence of those those uh, resources, but it doesn't mean that you know. For example, in East Africa, we have eastern and western branch. In terms of the western branch, we have hot springs, but we don't have the high temperature as we have the volcanic centers. So that has really also really requires a better study, which can be used also for direct use application, which is then. Uh, power, general electricity, but we can use also the enhanced technology like the binary unit for uh, effective use of this energy. So these are different geographical conditions that really contribute different sources of geothermal which can be used as power generation or for any other direct use application. In terms of incentives, I can say that also the other incentive we have in the Eastern Rift is the risk mitigation facility in order to attract private developers by giving 14% of partial grant to either public or private developer of the cost of the well in order to encourage private developers. This is one of the incentives we have. Then when it comes to developers we just, you know, in in Africa they give like any other countries the tax uh, holidays and also just to really import um, you know, um, just equipment, say other things, side uh, I just thanks to speak. Thank you.
2: Um,
4: thank you. Uh,
0: I know we're, we are actually a little over time, and so uh, if you can make your questions very, very fast, um, we, okay, we'll take them, and then that'll be it. Okay, go ahead to the back there. back there first, okay.
3: Thank you. Uh, a quick question from okay. Mr. Oksan. Um, how will the Global Geothermal Alliance be funded? Can you tell us? Easy question.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: it will be in, uh, a little part of, of its operation and setting up and, um, and uh, coordination will be funded by the core budget of IRENA. But um, uh, the, the core of the operations is that the members collect the initiatives and they also then contribute to the uh, actions. So there will be voluntary, we expect there will be voluntary contributions by the member countries, and maybe by, by private entities, uh, if there is a co- commercial interest to solve some of these uh, barrier problems, project by project. Thank you. Um, you had okay. okay,
0: somewhere. Uh, this is for Mazareth. Oh, sorry. Um, what role do communities play in implementing geothermal projects in Africa, and
4: how do the plans benefit the locals? Yeah. Um, in terms of um, the local communities, status, the member countries, uh, normally now uh, they um, the develop policy. And legislation, institutional framework, just to attract uh, investment. But the government is now also trying to do the green field to do exploration in order to attract the private investment. Because none of the private developers will go there when the risk is there and the resource is not identified. So they are really trying to get a different uh, financing scheme, even uh, the governments and they do uh, the exploration in the earlier stage with the different support programs like we are doing the unit and others, and try to uh, bring the uh, developers at the stage of exploration drilling. And in some cases, for example, in Kenya, they really want to go further to really do also the production drilling and attract private investments because the main issue here is the PPA, because governments want really to give an affordable and reliable energy resource to its nation, where the private developers want to go there, invest and get profits. So the governments are really playing a role to marry the two to things and to really accelerate the development of energy resources. And your second question, or?
0: Oh, um- how do
4: geothermal plants benefit locals? Do they provide employment? Or oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, that, that's true. One is the, uh, you know, the geothermal has versatile uses. One is for power generation, and the other is for direct use application. And uh, as a whole, um, maybe I can use uh, Kenya now uh, is they are really difficult to Naivasha, for example. There's a lot of job creation, and also for the local communities, they build schools and also the water wells and other things, they really get the benefit out of it apart from the power generation. And in terms of direct use application now, in Africa they are trying to really see, to diversify and use geothermal power for agro-processing, aquaculture, and other uh, things where really the community can get the maximum benefit out of it. Because it enables so much other economic development as a result of having
0: geothermal available in those different forms. Great, well, I want to thank all of our panelists very, very much, and it also seems to me that we heard recurrently how important policy is, and that it just seems that the more that we can um, share those examples or policies that uh, that seem to uh, be of the greatest help, best practices among all of our, whether it's states, different nations internationally, um, uh, here from the U.S. Uh, to help be able to expedite and accelerate uh, the development of, of the technology and its implementation, we will all be better off. Uh, so I want to thank you all very, very much for coming and look forward to seeing everyone at
2: the showcase tomorrow. So thank you very, very much.